Space. The final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. Its five-year mission, to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no one has gone before. Well, hello again. This is Buck Benny speaking. I'm joined with my friend Bob and my friend Jim. And we're here to talk about Star Trek Episode 8. And anyone know the title? The Elysian... Elysian Empire? No, Elysian Empire? I think it is the Elysian Empire or something like that. It's great that we don't know the title of the show we're reviewing. But <laughs> it's far for the course. Anyway, uh, we'll just start out by saying... By giving you a, well, first spoilers, so go watch the episode. Don't listen to this if you haven't watched the episode. Definitely heavy spoilers in this episode. It's an easy thing to spoil, let me put it that way. And I'll probably spoil it right from the beginning in that I loved it. I didn't, the beginning part would not have worked for me. It would have been, okay, this is a low scoring episode. Like say, a I don't know, it wouldn't be the worst of the season just because I enjoy a good romp and fun. But the if it went nowhere, uh, certainly there's been lots of episodes like this in the past. Uh, certainly Next Generation, people bring up Cupid that didn't work for me and, and a number of other episodes in the old series and so forth. Shore Leave and Piece of the Action, lots of different sort of costume pieces that they would do. And and that's great. Jim's eating a banana for some reason. But uh, anyway, besides that, the for me, uh, the ending salvaged the whole thing. It made it where it all made sense. It was all from uh, a little girl's point of view through an alien. So it would make sense that it would be a fairly scattershot thing. And so that made all, any plot holes kind of work. So and it was very sad ending and it was it was we finally got resolution to the mbanga and his daughter storyline which i thought was good because i didn't know where else you could go with this because if you he got her out and cured then what does he do leave the ship because he's going to be with his daughter or does he like immediately shift her off to boarding school or something so that he can stay on the ship or does does she somehow stay on the ship? But we're hundreds of years away from having your family on the ship with you, as far as we know, in Star Trek time. So anyway, Bob, what uh, what were your feelings on the episode? Yeah, I mean, we've like I said, we finished off that kind of repeating storyline with his daughter. Mm-hmm. Why the name is Elysian Kingdom. Okay. Um, I mean, the ending did help it a bunch. My issue with it was just the Victorian sort of uh, acting was a little over the top. I guess that was the point, but just didn't work. I think it was too far, especially the way it portrayed Captain Pike. Right. Yeah, that was a little rough, hard for me. Yeah. It did well, take the hair down, though. Yeah. Well, Pike... I thought it was interesting the part they wrote for Pike. I was thinking about it. I was going, okay, if they would have written this part for Kirk, 
I think Shatner would have refused to do the episode or would have said, I want to rewritten where I'm the Mbanga part, right? Because he had to be the center of everything or thought he should be. Um, and I was having a discussion with someone online about this, and I was just saying that I don't think he did it in a malicious way. I think he just thought it was the best thing for him and the best thing for the show if he was the centerpiece of most all the episodes. I was wondering how he thought, what he thought of Galileo 7 in that the centerpiece of that was definitely Spock um, and the the away team or the shuttle team or whatever. Um, anyway, Jim, what were your thoughts on the episode? My thoughts on the episode, I'm kind of like, with Bob, the, the LARPing Renaissance Fair thing was a, a bit over the top for me. You know, mm -hmm. even with the, <coughs> no, sorry, even with the, the ending and how they did that, you know, I don't know, it, it was just a bizarre episode. You know, it's, I mean, to get to this episode is really, the reason why that they've had his daughter in the transporter buffer the whole time is to get to this episode. Right. Essentially. Right. I mean, either that or they did that and trying to figure out what they wanted to do with her. And then they decided, ah, we can't do anything. And so they just created an episode to get rid of her. So, so to, for that storyline to me, it just seemed kind of strange the way they did it. Uh, I also found it strange that, he's been doing all this stuff to try to save his daughter, not wanting to let her go and everything else and still working can keep putting her in the buffer. And, and he's just like, it's like, okay, you're going to go off with this alien and I'm not going to ever see you again. And that just seemed like way too easy uh, for him to do for all the stuff he's been doing, trying to save her. But they did make it to be, for the character where it seemed like a hard choice. I mean, he seemed genuinely upset about the choice he had to face. Yeah, and I mean, as I figured. think through that, and I think if my choice was to have my daughter in a buffer where I may eventually be able to save her, but probably am not, I'm just going to sit here and watch her die slowly. Um, he's kind of torturing himself in a way by putting her in the pattern buffer because something that would normally have a, normal evolution of she's getting sicker and sicker and now she dies and now i try and move on with my life somewhat though losing a child is almost impossible it'll affect you forever but he takes that and makes that even a longer process by putting her in a pattern buffer bringing her out reading a little bit of a story to her putting her back in and keep doing that knowing that every time he pulls her out he's losing a little bit of her life expectancy uh tough situation and then he's presented with well she can live forever but i'll never be able to really see her again she'll never be quite the same person she's going to be in this her meant her her conscience will live but her physical body won't be there anymore or yeah, he, he molded over me what was that you know he molded over and thought seriously about it for at least 30 seconds yeah, but then, but then the thing is, he made the decision. It wasn't his decision. It was he gave the daughter the decision of whether she wanted to do it or not. And I thought that was uh, pretty remarkable. And that, and that, I don't know how many people would do that versus just here. No, here's what we're going to do. Um, and and so he he gave her some ownness in her own future 
Um, to me, that worked. For me, that whole piece worked, and it made the beginning part of the goofiness of the episode work as well. Also, there's parts of the goofiness I really liked. I mean, again, I always seemed to like Nurse Chapel, and I loved the part she did. It was small, but it was she did a really nice piece of it better than it, it just showed certain actors seem to pull it off better than others whether they it's because they fully bought into it or they found a unique way of going um certainly laon being the princess i thought did a wonderful job she was completely beyond what anybody else had there's a certain there's like that uncanny valley when you're sort of half over the top but half seeming like you may be not comfortable with it and so it doesn't really sell it to the audience and then there's that piece where you go so far over the top that it just works. And that's what, for me, Lawn that worked. For me, Pike, I think we're picky about, more picky about. And his was like sort of over the top. And yet there was still a piece of it that made it feel like there's a little self-consciousness in there or something about it. And so it made it not hit home as much as it could. I thought Erica did a pretty good job with, with her being a, kind of the swashbuckling person. Um, I liked number one coming in with her arrows and things. So again, number one gets featured the less, the least of just about anybody, um, though they gave her a cool character to have. But um, Bob, what did you think about all those characters? And did any of them work with you better than others? Or uh, the, I think the only one that worked was Spock. Okay. Um. And looking at the ratings, it's the worst of all the episodes. Went from like highest is in the eights. This has got a, like a six point one. So at least people on DB didn't love it so much. Uh, or I, I think that I, I would say that that's maybe not true. I would say that some people hated it, absolutely hated it. Would have graded it a one, and other people like me going to grade it at like a nine or a ten or something. And so the, it averages out lower. Uh, I don't think there's many people that would be in the middle of the road with this episode. I think you're either going to hate it or you're going to love it, right? Probably. Because you guys, yeah. it, was it the worst episode of the season for you guys? I would think it's close to yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. by far. Right. See, and to me, it's the it's probably second best season of the episode, uh, of the season. It, it's number four with uh, the Gorn attack thing is still the number one episode, but I put this right next to it either right below it or even maybe a tie just because there was it's so different and i like different and I like that just kind of works for me so i don't know i don't know how to describe it other than to say that the ending for me just works so well and very few shows get me to uh laughing out loud which is when did have me doing at some points of it and then at the end to almost crying because it's so sad and so poignant the end of it so you know i like like we were talking uh earlier i i know how much uh bob found luan's performance uh, uplifting um <laughs> but um yeah and all the other all the other stuff i i just had too many i don't know it just it just wasn't like it wasn't a star trek episode you know right. it, was, it was like the characters of star trek putting on some kind of, you know, Shakespearean play or something, you know, right. I mean, it, that, that's the way, because there was so little of the other Star Trek stuff, really, 
Right. It was mostly all this. So it was just like, oh, this is just. Well, and folks talked that there was no real A and B storyline. This was just one story. And usually you have an A and B. And they said they missed the A, B concept. That's that's a big piece of what Star Trek is. Um, I don't know. To me, it, it didn't bother me that much at all. Uh, and, and, and the thing but, is, I, I, I'm looking at it too. It's like, so you got this alien being that can like change I don't know, the reality for everybody there or whatever, right. mm-hmm. you know, and, and heal her, put her into this environment, but can't just heal her without having everything be in this alternate reality thing. Right. You know, it's, it's like if you're so... Well, I didn't get that impression. I got the impression it could heal her as long as she stayed close to it. But if they were going to fly away or something, it wasn't going to work. It wasn't going to be a distance thing. Because oh, so, I, I thought that. So I mean, if, if they could somehow park the ship right there, and or or create a starbase right there, she'd probably be able to live a live normal that, life. That, she'd just never be able to leave and go anywhere. Yeah, is that what it was? Because so, I I thought they she had said that if they the if the entity had returned the ship to its normal stuff, that that she would also yeah. be return yeah that's skilled anymore well that doesn't make sense and i wouldn't like to accept that so i would say i interpreted it correctly and you've interpreted it wrong and whatever bob's about to say is going to be wrong from the get-go i can tell you that (laughs) that's exactly what they said is if they return she won't return she won't be cured right they almost almost said that straight out yeah but i refuse to believe so yeah i think just the whole storyline if you really think about it okay this is Hundreds of years of future tell me still haven't cured like leukemia. Well, like, it sounds like it's a different form of leukemia or something. Like they just get the name from there. I don't know. You just that's a conceit you have to accept because they've had her in the pattern buffer. And I don't think for something that was easily curable, they'd have her in there. So obviously it was something that they can't cure currently. So well, and, and then you know. You look at it, and so far in this season, in what seven episodes is it now so far? This is the eighth. eighth. So eight episodes. They've had one one planet that they went to that would would have been able to heal her, right? The the one from I think it was last week or whatever, right? Right. Um, they would have been able to heal her. Here they have some other entity that heals her, you know, albeit temporarily or whatever. You know, so he's he's so already... he should say, I'm the doctor on the Enterprise. Certainly we'll run into things that can heal my daughter through all of our adventures out here. So I should just wait and maybe and something well, he, he should realize that you know in in just eight episodes they've already <laughs> run into it twice. Yeah. <laughs> I mean what you... well, I tend to think it's a little more like what you were saying, <laughs> where they've created this thing. They're going, so if we don't heal her and just let her die, that's going to be weird. If we heal her, because we're building towards that, right? With the, with the last episode, it looked like they were getting closer to, to where they might be able to heal her. What are we going to do with her then? It's like I said, it's, it's you put her in boarding school. Do you have him leave this show? What do you do? So, because essentially they've made it be where they're so tight. You wouldn't forgive it if she just, left or someone showed oh her aunt showed up and it's going to take her and and, and bangu will see her whenever he's to the next star base or something it just wouldn't 
quite work. So, so I think they just said, okay, how can we end that? And then this was one of the ways. Um, certainly, this episode without that ending doesn't work at all, right? So they needed it. They needed that powerful ending to make it work for some of the fans, like me. It worked That's really well because why, the ending was so strong. Why do you have to do a a Victorian episode in the first place? You, you go through all that. I guess it's to tie it into the alien to an alternate reality. I guess, but why that? Well, because it was in this in the children's book. It wasn't to try and make a Victorian episode. It was to try and make this little girl's book come to life. A different book. Yeah. Well, they could have done a different book, but they wanted to do this one because I think they wanted to make it humorous for the folks that in the audience had a sense of humor, like myself. Uh, <laughs> but but you know, I didn't they, laugh once. They, they had to have known. See, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> they have had to have known this whole time that they were going to do this episode. Yes. Be, be, because this is the book, you know, that they've been reading. He's been reading to her. So, you know, they had somebody had to say, okay, we're having her read a book to her. We're having her read a book that's, you know, this, this, this. Oh, you can totally see how in the writer's room it would all come together. It's like, okay, we're reading your book. I mean, I, mean, I guess they, they, they plan out the whole season and they, yeah do the thing so they they're all tidy it's not like they've they've done the first no. four episodes and then it's like okay we got to come up with an episode an idea yeah, for i'm me. sure in this one they were saying we've got to really come up with an anchor that's really going to pull it together at the end because otherwise this might not work right um because I, I would assume of all the episodes in the season this is the one they probably were the most dicey about whether it was going to work play with the audience or not play and of course, it didn't play with some of you, and it did play, and it did play with others of us. But the the concept of it, to me, they could have very easily let's let's pretend the, the little girl wasn't part of this episode. Let's just say the entity came in, somehow observed him. Well, we'll say the girl is part of it. Observed him reading the book to her and said, "Oh, I'm going to make this book come to life." Or this is the book. This is what the reality should be based on so then they change the ship right then at the end they somehow communicate with the entity because hemmer can do that right so he communicates with the entity and says no this is not how it's supposed to be we wanted to go back the way it was and so the entity changes it back well that ending though it makes sense would not work for me. It wouldn't have saved the episode. And I would be saying the episode ranks at about a six as one of the worst ones of the season. And you guys would be even worse than that, right? But because they increased that, um, the the weight of it by having it be the little girl's future and the little girl's destiny that it took over, then it makes the episode work for me. So I guess uh, whatever they decided pulled it off for me anyway. Uh, and then having her, I don't know if they needed her to come back as an adult and say, oh, it all worked great. And in your couple of seconds, it was years and years for me. Um, so that means, she, that yeah. means she's going to die much sooner than she would have before. <laughs> Except for they said that she would be immortal, essentially. So. Well, how does she get immortal if she's aging so quickly? Well, she's aging in his time. I suppose her body will... You know, yeah, if you, in a few more, if you wait for another 15 minutes, you can come back as a 95-year-old woman and she's about ready to die or something. But 
then her body dies, but essentially her conscious lives on, probably. I think her body is gone. Her body doesn't exist anymore. She's just probably an illusion. Yeah. 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 I mean, her body's gone. Right. She's just like something. But I'm just saying, if 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 she's saying she ages that much and that much time, yeah, he could wait for five more minutes, and she's there won't even be an image that she can bring back of herself in, in real time or whatever, because that'd be a person that's dead. So yeah. Anyway, uh, I liked it. So I, I think the reason that they brought her back was to put closure to it. Yes. Um, you know, because if. If she had just gone off, okay, yeah. now it's still hanging out there. Right. You know, his okay, he let his daughter go and she's out there. Who knows what's happening and you know, whatever. Which is more her. like real life that you don't know exactly what's going to happen. But yeah. they gave him and the audience closure by bringing her back. It'd be really interesting if there was a draft. I, I would be highly su- suspectful that there'd be a draft that didn't have that in there. And somebody in the writer's room said, okay, this is great, but it leaves it too wide open. What if we brought her back and she aged and she could say it was good and all of that and takes him off the hook and takes it off the hook for the for the fans and just kind of lays it all out. Um, I probably wouldn't have included that part. I probably would have left it more open-ended, but I'm okay. With I, that. It makes me wonder if they're going to turn her into some kind of cue type being i was i was thinking that too that she's going to come back and like help him out or something using her powers at some point in the future yeah Yeah. like she's still not out of the he's the adult actress right or they can even bring her back as the child actress if they wanted to i suppose because at this point it would be essentially like q where you're just assuming a body it doesn't really matter so I mean, she could even come back in the form of his wife if she wanted to, I suppose. Um, yeah, that wouldn't be weird. Yeah. <laughs> the tomato meter gave this episode a three. Well, I'm not saying that I'm 100% <laughs> right. I'm just saying that everybody else is wrong. So <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> no, but it, truly, I, I'd say on the... The, the official polling that I've been doing on the Facebook pages of this thing, I, it sure feels like it's not even 50-50, like it's 60-40 with the 60% being people love it and 40% being they adamantly hate it, hate it, hate it. Like worst episode, definitely worst episode of the season. I can't think of anyone who said, Oh, I'd rate it about the middle of the season. I mean, people are all either this is one of the best episodes of the season or it's one of the worst episodes of the season. So clearly the worst for me. Yeah. Well, and I think a critic looking at it would probably say it's one of the worst. So that makes sense too with the different meters and things that they would show that way. I think for for certain fans, this would work. Uh, You have to be, I mean, I'd be interested to see people that don't like it. I mean, like, do you guys, did you guys like a piece of the action? Did you like uh, Shore Leave? Did you like 
the very uh, trouble with tribbles did you like the comedy episodes of the original star trek or any of the um star trek the cupid episode from next generation you know any of the comedy episodes ever or did you not it's always been a weird fit comedy with star trek has never been the smooth fit sometimes it works and a lot of times it just falls on its face i like piece of the action and uh trouble tribbles Okay. I, I liked all of those better than this one. Okay, fair enough. Like I say, I'm just curious to see what uh, what uh, fans, I would think fans that had, if you had trouble with those other ones, right, do you say are better, right? I would think you definitely have problems with this one. Um, this, if this you one love those like... other ones and they're some of your favorites or something, I could see other, because I personally... I don't know. I think I like this better than almost any of those because all of those seem to be always pushing it for their humor and things. This one made sense to me that it's a kid's storybook, so of course the characters are going to be broad. Um, so I, I was all right with that, but I kind of figured going into this we'd have a battle, so it's okay. <laughs> this episode reminds me of one that they did with the, the Avengers, their TV show mm-hmm. called Epic and. It was about making fun of like 20s and 30s MGM. Uh-huh. And that they pull that off a lot better because they don't it, it never takes itself seriously. It, like, it's just, like Thor and Iron Man and stuff. <laughs> I'm talking about Emma Peter and John, John Steed. Oh, that have been oh okay. I, I I was trying to figure out it's like okay, so we got like Thor is like yeah. <laughs> well, what's so funny is just yesterday I was making a joke about somebody saying that something about the Avengers, and I started, oh, Who's your favorite Avenger? And I said, Emma Peel is my favorite <laughs> Avenger. And, uh, and, then I, and then I posted the video of I'm in love with Emma Peel by a local band, The Allies, um, yeah. which is yeah. a very good song. And uh, so it's just funny that Bob mentions those Avengers as I was uh, thinking about them myself just yesterday. So uh, anyway, the oh the episode. Let's see. Um, let's go for our ratings of it and just see what we would rate it. Uh, Jim, what do you got it rated as? I would give it four. Four lowest of the season. Then for you, lowest for sure. of the season. Yep. Bob, uh, five. I guess. But definitely, that's still lowest for me. That's lowest for you. I don't think you've had any lower than a six or something. For me, honestly, I gave it two different places. I talked about it online. I gave it 10 out of 10. So I'll give it a 10 out of 10 again. For me, it was perfect. For me, it was it was about as good as you can make a Star Trek episode with, I just, I love the swings. I love going from absolute comedy, bad acting into a poignant, meaningful end that makes sense of the whole thing so for me it works um like i say if i I suppose it'd be like a 9.8 if the true top of the scale is 10 because i'd want 10 to be reserved for episode four the gorn battle episode is still the best of the season um like i say this is almost tied with it but it's probably a little bit of a notch down the previews for next week um though you guys probably haven't seen them. Uh, looks like it could be a Gorn episode again. Who knows? Uh, it certainly is going to be a 
completely different, darker episode, you can tell. Um, and well, I think I mean, they've only got two more left. They've what was got, that? They've only got two more left, so they, right? You know, they. I wouldn't be surprised at all if it's not not a two-parter. Yeah, that's what it looks like it's going to be to me as a two-parter, and it wouldn't be surprising to me if it was a follow-up on the Gorn episode. So we'll have to see. And for the acting on this episode, or the characters, the the main character who who got the best out of this thing, um. It definitely featured Mbanga more and gave Mbanga more depth and things. So I'd have to say Mbanga, Mbanga and Hammer were both given kind of the straight man parts in this that that added to their characters a little bit. I definitely liked Hammer better in this than I have previously, I think. So I'm starting to like the whole cast, I guess. But as far as the acting goes for the crazy parts of the episode... I'd give that to Laon as the as the crazy wonderful princess. Well, her, her the, character, the, the other one to uh, to Chapel as I just loved her part as well. I don't Bob liked Spock, and I'm trying to think of what stood out for Spock. But not Jim, too much. Did you like the Spock piece? I mean, Spock oh, had a cool was, outfit, but <laughs> there was there was really nothing there for the the Spock character for me. Yeah. You know, it's like he had kind of a small very small part just a few lines yeah it didn't you know it didn't didn't make sense to me um the uh the uh as far as all the different ones that worked the best from it was probably luan yeah and and that might be because it was so like ortiz right ortiz ortega 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 you know, her character was very similar to what she is, you know, yeah. I mean, her personality or whatever. I mean, if you met her in person, she's probably very similar to that. And it just comes out in any character she plays. Um, but for Luan, it was it was so much different. Uh, you know, normally she's very reserved, very un- trying to you know be very unemotional and stuff like that. And then with this princess character, she was a, a lot different. And yeah. And she embraced that, and that was really cool that she did that. Yeah, I agreed. That's what made her stand out for me. Almost, she's sort of like the embodiment of the episode. The episode itself is so out of character from the normal Star Trek episodes. It's, do you go there, do not go there, and I'm willing to go there. And then that also is probably why Laon, for me, is the best character on, on this thing for this episode. Bob, you were saying Spock. What is it about Spock in this episode that stood out for you uh, as he was him? He was one of the sorcerers or whatever. I think it was, well, maybe because he wasn't like the opposite of Lon. He wasn't over the top. Correct. I think, I think this episode actually would have been better if they weren't so over the top. If they were more like a normal person would have been, I think I would have liked it better. But mm-hmm. I think it went over into ridiculousness. Yeah, I know it was, it was trying to be funny, but it just seemed didn't really. Uh, seem- and that and and I could I could go there. I mean, I think if you kept some characters over the top, but add a few more characters that were like less, like you're saying, you enjoyed Spock, and I would agree he was the least over the top character, right? Other than the other than Banga and yeah, and other than the ones that weren't even uh, in the who were themselves right and Banga and and Hemmer were themselves right but 
of the of the characters who were taking on a new persona, Spock was the most similar to his old persona, I'd say. Um, so I can see that. Lon was the furthest away from her old persona. Persona. I mean, uh, it's interesting because Chapel was kind of like if you were to say, "Oh, Chapel," just just being who she was acting like she was in a renaissance thing that's how you would think the character might act is the way she acted in the actual performance so so that one actually tied in uh erica too if you were to take erica and say okay we're gonna make her in a renaissance fair pike i, I guess the two that, that were taking the biggest leaps away from what they normally are would be pike and laon that had the biggest changes in their personality or whatever so and i can see some people being frustrated with pike with with he was so not the captain but um like i said kirk would never do that i don't think i don't i think shatner would have be revolving around him i just can't see him doing that which i think is neat because it shows that to me i feel like the pike character that is very into the crew working together and solving things together and the actor, Anson Mount, I think have a very similar style. I mean, uh, as far as I know, Anson Mount is very happy with how this season progressed. If Shatner was in the part of Captain, I think he would have said, this season featured way too little of me and way too much of everybody else, right? Because, I mean, I think he'd be counting the pages and going, I'm only appearing in this many pages in this episode. I need more. Um, that's my opinion. I don't know. Well, you, you, I mean, with with what you know of Shatner, do you think Shatner would be happy with this season? You would, no, I think you're right. No. He's like, no way, I'm not doing that. That character's a wimp. You right. know, that's gonna slip on me for the rest of the season. I'm not gonna do it. I think that's. I don't think he would have done it. No, nope. they would have to have Scotty do that part or something. But I think I do think that to me that's why this series works so well in a way is they really have featured all the players so much i think more than any other version of star trek i can think of they really have highlighted a lot of different characters uh but unfortunately it also makes the characters that you haven't featured as much really a detriment to them both you know erica traditionally and bango which they kind of helped in this episode they featured them a lot Though it wasn't, in, in Erica's case, it wasn't in character. It was as a new character or something. Um, the other person, I feel like number one, always takes the back seat way too yeah, often. Yeah, so that's, that, that does, just doesn't, does not, that's not working. I mean, she was like, she's not acting the pilot. I mean, like they say, that, you know, there's the it girl. She's kind of the it girl in the pilot. She just sticks out. Yeah. So prominent character in this show she gets maybe what two scenes three maybe right and that's how all season that's been the case all right that hopefully that gets addressed either in these next two episodes that she gets i would think it'd be her turn to ha have her part a bigger part of this episode or next season i mean i think i think anybody looking at this if you're looking at this as a writer or a producer or anything you're either you're either going, okay, she just doesn't have the it factor that uh, the original character did in in the, in the Cage pilot, right? 
maybe, maybe she's not the actress that Majel Barrett was, or you're either saying that, or you're saying, no, it's not her fault. It's just the character's less interesting because we've taken so much of that character and given that personality to Spock that there's no personality left for her. And the other half of it, they gave to to Lon. Right, right. And then we and then we created we did we did our own disservice too by creating a similar character. If we didn't have Laon, Laon's parts could have essentially gone to number one, and number one would just be a, a far stronger character. And you guys were both saying that that from the first episode, essentially, that you saw that coming from a mile away, that they were going to have problems with number one, and they have. Um, and if and if none of that's true, and they're saying, no, no, we still feel like we got a strong character in number one, we just haven't had a chance to feature her like we want to, well, hopefully they'll realize that and feature her quite a bit next season. But I just don't know how you do it and 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 not have it. I mean, I think you're going to shortchange her or Laon all the time because you can't really feature both of them. You kind of got to have one of them. But we'll see. Or you, or you, like I say, you team them up like they did in uh, at least one episode this season and have them working together. That kind of works too. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll just have to see. Now, I will say, uh, I did see an interview with Erica, uh, the actress that plays Erica Ortega, about next season, because they're, they're in the midst of filming season two. And she said, you know, she's delighted with how much people are loving season one. I mean, it's just getting all kinds of love on this season. But she says to her, season one was good. But season two is just, they're just hitting it out of the park every week, she says, and, and and just going surprising places she didn't expect them to go. And as an actor, it's just really rewarding what they're doing. Now, that can be looked at two ways. One, if she's accurate for the viewing audience, that's great if the, if the show's hitting just a whole nother level, which I didn't know if it could even do. On the other hand, if it's rewarding for the actor because there's so much for them to play but they're doing too many broad things then it could be where we don't like season two as well who knows but we'll just have to see when that comes around i'm really looking forward to the last two episodes i'm hoping and they look like they're going to be more of the suspense sort of episodes and i think i think if you look at the season now i'd say they had a few fairly light episodes recently and it's time for a nice dark uh, suspenseful episode so hopefully and which makes more sense for a two-parter anyway jim yeah with all this yeah thank you jim <laughs> of course <laughs> not what i expected <laughs> yeah I, I i i don't know i think i for this episode i pretty much said everything but uh yeah i i think definitely they're probably these next two episodes probably gonna be more action and stuff you know, it's yeah. it's hard if if you don't have a a suspenseful action type episode. I, I think it's it's as hard a finale. You mean? Yeah. Well, yeah, as a finale, and, and you know, then it just ends, and it's like, oh, okay. Um, yeah. So you got this climax with this, uh, you know, the action thing. I mean, especially if they if they do make it a two parter, you know, if it, it, can you imagine them stretching this episode out to two parts or no? Or any pretty much any of the other episodes out to two parts, it would seem like it would be really, really slow. But if you've got some action, you know, battling things like that, that all goes really quick. 
Yes. And and so it makes the episode go quick. Well, I think if we were to say what episode this season could you make a two-parter, I think the only one we would come up with probably are either the first episode, which you could have done easily because it seemed like they crammed the storyline in with introducing all the characters, or episode four, which was the Gorn episode that you could say, okay, you can you could have done a two-parter on that one if you wanted to. And it right. Would have been- yeah, and put in a bunch more battle scenes and right. A bunch of other had something not go their way and end the see and the episode with that and then the next episode they have to fix it so that they solve it whatever it was yeah yeah you know it just does it just works better um and I think it's I think it's good if they end with a two parter which it looks like they're going to just to tell the fans okay we we said that these are going to be standalone episodes but that doesn't mean we can't do a two parter every once in a while if we want to I mean I don't want it to feel like oh, every episode has to be completely standalone. We can't do any, you know, they've always had two-parters in the various versions of Star Trek. And I think two-parters are makes makes them fun or or one part at the end of a season carrying over to the second part being the beginning of the next season. It's always a, a neat cliffhanger to have sometimes. Um, I probably wouldn't do it this season just because we're trying to show people that we can do contained shows but I think going from season two to season three, I probably would do a cliffhanger at the end of that. We'll see what happens, right? Um, and we got, let's see, did we get Bob's, I, did we get your, yeah, we got your favorite characters and stuff, right, Jim? I think so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, for this episode, anyway. Um, anybody, well, let's see. Let's Since we're right before the end of the season, overall for the season, who are the standout like characters for you that you think all season this character is really they've done a good job on this character? Do you have one, Jim? Um, not really. Uh, they all suck. <laughs> they've all been equally good. See, that's oh, okay. that's a way of saying it. everybody sucks. <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, Pike, I mean, Pike definitely, but, you know, he's kind of the center point of the show. Just like you keep, yeah. you keep bragging on, on Shatner, but having to be the center of the show. But, you know, I mean, if the well, I'm not trying to rag on Shatner, but, and that's what somebody told me online too, that I was doing. I'm like, no, I liked Shatner and I liked his character. I like both. I like Kirk and I like Shatner, the guy. I just think he thought that, having the main three be the main part of the show wasn't really important. And he really defended that. And maybe that was for that series. Maybe that's what kept it going for three years. I don't know, but cause it was always on the verge of being canceled. Um, no, I, I think it, I'm fine with that. I just think that it, when his thought of what Star Trek was or what his version of Star Trek was, an episode like this wouldn't work with him being a side character. It wouldn't have to be he'd have right. to be a character. But as far the way Anson Mount seems to view it is, hey, if it's good Star Trek, it's good for me, and it's and I'll look good doing it, so it's okay. Um, I kind of wish, in a way, Pike would have taken more of a lead role in a few more episodes than he did. I feel like if anything they shortchanged him a little bit, but he was such a strong character coming into the season that if you list the best characters, you know, of Star Trek or of this season, he has to be in your top two or three anyway, even though he wasn't featured as much. I'd say La'on, they featured 
really well multiple times and she did a great job in this episode so so for me she's a standout for this season for me spock just nails his part like every time he does such a good job and his whole his scenes with Tapring and his scenes with chapel and the whole thing just works so i'd say spock again is in the top ones i i guess i'd say laon spock and pike were the were the main characters i think that got the best service this season with chapel being the surprise side character that really showed showed well and stole most of the scenes she was in her head didn't look so small in this episode it must have been the bigger hair what was that her head didn't look so small and her neck didn't look so long maybe different outfit different outfit or the the hair one of the pike did if you go back and look at the beginning of this was was big spike again that's like huge spike but the thing is he only had it for like part of one scene and then it then it it immediately changed so i i I think part part of you're talking about you know which one you think has done best this season and i almost think that that's part of the problem you know of any problems that i have with it is that they by having so many characters and almost like it washes it out you know where where the direction or the the idea behind it you know if you have a few core characters and it's them and then the 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 other rest of the cast is is in a supporting role you kind of have a a direction and a structure but if you wash it out over so many characters to me it it kind of loses maybe a little bit of that structure and direction yeah i think think though like if you look at stranger things that you guys don't watch they have a huge cast and they it doesn't none of the characters seem to get washed out for i don't know why right they, they they all seem to fit into the narrative do they rotate around and feature like more of a cast member on this episode is an episode that's a so-and-so episode and this other episode is an episode that focuses on this other character or they intermix them all throughout and well, hanging out because they they're most of the main characters are kids yeah and so they hang out in gangs right so there's literally kind of like in this season there's like Two different gangs, and the number you know, the main character's number one is 11, and 11's role isn't as prominent this season, at least not yet, right? And so, yeah. there's more focus on uh, like Steve and uh, that group, Max. But they, I don't know, maybe the characters themselves are just so different, they don't have like two, they don't have like number one and Lon. Right. All the characters are distinct from each other. Right. Now, do you, uh, going back to our question, though, about this season, who were there certain characters or actors that stood out to you as, as having better roles this season than other ones or anything? I, like you, really like, I mean, like I said, Ethan Peck is almost in a no-win situation trying to come up, but he... He, totally he, made, he made a win out of a no-win situation, which is insane. Yeah. I mean, he, he can either screw it up or people would notice. And he's like not only screwed up, but made the character stronger. Yeah. Uh, I think the other one, like you, you said, I do actually like Chavel. Yeah. She does actually stick out to me. Um, her head? No. Up she's on just top of her neck? Fun. I, I just any scene with her in it, I'm just 
delighted to see it and uh, and i know i'm gonna enjoy this scene as soon she's she's one that almost like the fonzie character on happy days whenever he would show up for the first time in an episode the audience would start clapping and cheering and things because he showed up uh in my heart i mean i see her in a scene i go oh this is gonna be a good scene i just kind of perk up a little bit to watch this to see what her interaction it's like a little fireworks show that you get whenever she's interacting with anybody especially when she's interacting with spock and so i don't know what to categorize i don't know if that's the actress i don't know if it's the writing i think it's kind of both and because she has this peppy little writing that they do for her and then she plays it so peppy so she's got these little one-liners she throws out i mean erica has that too the way they write her in some ways she's kind of similar to chapel in certain ways with that she's kind of like erica is so interesting because she's kind of a mixture of chapel and laon kind of thrown together and because she's got that snappiness and yet she's kind of got that aggressiveness that laon has but it, it none of it works as well as either of the other two characters so it, she doesn't work for me as well as the others um, one, one that's kind of to me is kind of faded away more is, is Uhura. It's yeah. Like, but know. I think that's just they haven't featured that much. When she is featured, I mean she but she was featured in early episodes and not so much in the later episodes, right? I think her episodes were episode two was her main one, right? And then she was featured like in three or four or something. And then it just kind of became lighter after that. So I think that's a piece of that. Yeah, a big piece um, of it. So yeah, she she never. Yeah, right. She did have a piece in this one, and it, she was one of those over the top ones. She she got a her should have been the meatiest part theoretically because she was playing the main villain or something. Um, but I don't know. For this one, it just didn't work for me. It seemed kind of like I don't know how to describe it. It's fake. It's not fake acting. It's just didn't seem like she was comfortable necessarily in that role or we weren't comfortable with her in that role i'm not sure how that works but and laon was just so completely different and just embodied this this princess character that it just worked and i don't know why that worked for laon and didn't work for others also the dog in this episode is the actress's own dog that she she'd been wanting to have them feature in a star trek episode and somebody mentioned to her well, when you're that princess, why didn't she have a little dog? And she's like, should I ask them? And like, yeah, I asked. And so she asked and they said, okay, we'll work it in there. So they did. She had her own, the dog had his own little outfits and everything and all thing. Crazy. Uh, anyway, for me, a good episode. So I guess we'll finish that one up there and we'll talk more uh, the next two episodes about the whole season and uh, what, the last if it's a little tiny story arc or what it is but it sounds like it's going to be part one and part two so we shall see thank you gentlemen uh anything else are we good no i'm good we're good all right uh enjoy we'll see you guys next time this week in the ready room i've conjured babs alusa mokun aka dr mbenga and melissa navia aka lieutenant ortegas to talk episode eight of strange new worlds we'll get an exclusive meeting with this week's breakout star christina chong's adorable dog runa and of course we'll get a sneak peek at episode nine of star trek strange new worlds huzzah lords and ladies make haste to the ready room
Hail nerds and well met, I'm Sir Will of Wheaton and this is The Ready Room, your official behind the scenes hub for all things Star Trek and Elysian Universe. I am so excited to talk about this week's episode of Strange New Worlds and its foray into fantasy. We will be gallivanting headfirst into a world of wizards, kings, and epic quests. And if you're feeling like you're watching me on one of my tabletop gaming shows right now instead of The Ready Room, then RED ALERT! Please, as your lawful good host, I implore you to go stream the fantastical fable that is Episode 8, The Elysian Kingdom. Then returneth, so that we may discusseth woe upon those who would spoil this episode, a pox upon their houses. From the costumes, to the set design, to the characters, to the score, to the magnificent story that ties them all together, it has been so hard not to talk about this episode. Today, Babs and Melissa, or King Ridley and Sir Avia, as they are called this week, join me here in the ready room as I try really hard to just be cool about the Enterprise's magical transformation. Then we'll talk all about this week's breakout star, Princess Talia's adorable accessory played by Christina Chong's real-life pup, Runa. Now, listen, Cream Grudge is on a break between seasons, and I'm going to need all of you to keep it a secret that we caught up with Christina to chat about her doggo's scene-stealing cameo. Because we really need to let Queen Grudge believe she is the only animal who exists in the Star Trek universe. All of my fellow cat owners know exactly why this is so important. But first, my fellow Elysians. I've decided we're all Elysians this week. Hope that's cool. Strange New Worlds has already brought us many places in its first season. But Episode 8's throne rooms and swamps and dark passages are bound to rank among the strangest. And we never even left the Enterprise. Now, I have a little experience mixing fantasy and science fiction. I met Wayne Gretzky the day we shot that. But this was a whole other level of production. Let's take a look at all the work, and as far as I can tell, actual wizardry, that went into turning the Enterprise into the Elysian Kingdom. Control room, engage. The storybook episode was like a giant, highly produced adult version of a game of dress-ups. We had a blast like turning the ship into just a fairy tale. It was really fun for all of us to play other versions of our characters. You know, it's like we're at a costume ball and the set looks amazing. They, they do such amazing work here. When I walked through the sets, it was just, it was in a different place, it was in a different world and it definitely carried me all hail the king! What the hell? Is this some kind of a joke, Captain? If it is jokes you desire, I could summon the court jester. Summon the court no. jester! We got this script about how the Enterprise gets taken over by an alien entity and turns it into a fantasy world. And we all sat around just shaking our heads for a while, thinking, well, you know, what's this all about? Amanda Rowe, who was the um, director of that, was great. She loved the whole fairy tale thing. And we came up with a way of bringing the fairy tale world to the Enterprise in a pretty fulsome way. So the corridor set behind me 
was actually completely turned into a forest, apart from the floor. The cargo bay became Queen Nev's palatial chamber with huge red banners and great flaming torches on stands and massive red carpet. So it was completely bonkers. It was really great fun. It was very humorous too. And the, uh, Bernadette's costumes for that were spectacular. So when it all came together, these were great days on set, I have to say, full on TOS. Welcome to my kingdom. Now, kneel before me. Yes, of course. I always wanted to play an evil queen. I think that there's so much fun in there. And of course, the phantasmal aspects with the costumes and the set and, and getting to play in this beautiful, beautiful gown and my crown, it was all just like, I'm even doing her mannerisms right now. It's like, it, it was really, really fun. <laughs> this storybook fantasy episode was my favorite episode by far to design for. It was like, my inner child like kind of bursting out. Did you think your crimes would go unpunished, wizard? I'm not a wizard. Hammer gets transformed into a wizard, which was awesome. As soon as I saw the, the uh, character sketch, I, I just about squealed. Hammer was one of my favorite characters to design for in this episode. We wanted to create something that really looked good with his prosthetic, his hair, and this color and these fabric combinations just is like so magical. We uh, 3D printed this medallion here. This is like a little macrame collar. This was all done by Jan in the atelier. She um, kind of molded this leather. So in this graphic, it's a vinyl adhesive. So it gets cut out in this beautiful kind of design and it's heat pressed on the fabric. Bruce is such a wonderful actor and he really loved putting this on. Uh, release Castor the wizard at once. We don't answer to you, false king. The Queen's Guards was the most complicated and time-consuming costume we've ever done on Strange New Worlds. Um, there's about 150 pieces of leather that makes up this armor. Everything's foiled and then broken down. JJ, our key effects builder, was responsible for this. JJ, take us through it. Each of these finger, finger pieces of leather were laser cut and then assembled and then brought over to our breakdown team and painted and foiled. There was 10 of these outfits made. We tried to make it as articulate and comfortable for the actress as possible because there are fight scenes involved. There were several stunts. And as you can see, this is actually foam, so it's safe for stunts. So if there was a falling like action moment, um, it, that's exactly what this is, this is built for. Daddy, you made it. And here we have Anna, who's our key breakdown artist, and she uh, ombreed this magical dress and she did all the beautiful beadwork that we see here. So Anna's gonna take you through some of the processes here. So this is a silk organza with a plastic weft. And uh, we did an ombre, double ombre dye on this, um, about 21 yards. It was a massive job. The beading was quite the, the labor of love, but it really shows it's nice to have a very handmade piece. She said it was the most magical thing she's ever worn. She was so like swept away. She just loved it. Remember I told you you could write your own story someday. Maybe that someday is now. 
and Benga is the, is the king. So we wanted to make something really regal. Uh, we wanted to pay tribute to his Nigerian roots. This is some coral down here and this beautiful brass medallion, it's an antique. And the fabric was another really cool detail. Heather, tell us about that. It's 3D printed, like our Starfleet uniforms. Jen Bowen, our digital graphics artist, made a print and got it 3D printed onto the fabric. And the crowning glory, this is 3D printed and it was based off um, a Nigerian king's crown. If we couldn't 3D print, we couldn't have this level of detail, that's for sure. I don't go on and on about costumes, but I kept telling the costume designer, oh my god, oh my god. <laughs> because everybody just looks sensational. You did such a good job. Did you have fun? I did. I am now joined by Babs Alyssa Mokun, a.k.a. Dr. Mbenga, and Melissa Navia, who plays Lieutenant Erica Ortegas on Star Trek Strange New Worlds. Welcome to the Ready Room. Thank you for joining me, Your Highness and Sir. It's our pleasure. On behalf of Legacy Star Trek, which is still real weird for me to say, I would very much like to welcome you to the Star Trek universe, officially. I am so curious to know how you are finding your uh, lives involved in our world now. It's been a blast. I don't think it'll ever fully sink in. I think the interesting part uh, has been since, you know, since since I got cast, since we've all gotten cast, like you run into people. I have family members who are Trekkies and, you know, you hear things like, you know, this is the Star Trek we've been waiting for yeah. since I was born. Yeah. So yeah, just. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's amazing, first of all, like, you know, as actors to have this job with the legacy, with the iconic legacy it has. Um, it's really, I don't think words can describe the feeling. As Melissa had said earlier, we will always be sort of, we're here, we're doing Star Trek. <laughs> right. I'm on the bridge. And this is from every- I can relate cast, so you know? much. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, right, they're paying me to do this. You know, so yeah. that, that I think is really never going to go away. And uh, I think that just uh, the, the responsibility, there is a, a, a level of responsibility and a sense of responsibility that I believe we all carry uh, because of what this show has meant to, you know, so many people from all walks of life, from all generations, from globally, you know, so yeah. it's quite a challenge and we're excited about it, but we... We are hoping we can give people what they've been waiting for and looking for. And we're excited about that challenge. Um, if it matters, I'm one of those people. <laughs> uh, I, I happen to be part of this world, but I was a fan before I was part of it. And it is very much the show I've been waiting for since I was a little kid. And if it matters at all, uh, not only have you all consistently uh, hit my unreasonably high expectations, you have managed to exceed them every single time. And I'm not saying that like for any other reason than it is absolutely true. Um, let's talk about this episode that we just watched because it's just great. Babs, this episode evokes such a classic Star Trek situation with elaborate costumes. You're in this amazing fantasy Ren Faire kind of setting until he finds Hemmer. Dr. Mbenga is the only one who is aware of all this weirdness that's going on. So as an actor, 
You are put in the role of a straight man. You're the audience's connecting character while all your castmates get to play these enormous, just magnificent characters. This is not to say that Mbenga is not magnificent, but you get the, the difference. Would you talk a little bit about being the straight man in that situation? Absolutely. First of all, it was, um, you know, when I received the script, which was a night or so before we started shooting. No kidding? We were hearing about this script like a in, month. Yeah, like hushed, you know, hushed whispers, like, yeah. you know, around for, for yeah. months. For months. And and everyone was like, that Babs and I like have, have yeah. you know, big roles to play. And we're like, yeah. where is the script? Where is the script? Where is the script? <laughs> Uh, so you only had like a night to really get excited about it? Yeah, no, I was, I, wow. was, I was already excited about it because, you know, they, they were speaking about it. I looked forward to it, but I was also yeah. waiting for the material, right? You know, and it finally arrived and it, it arrived in, in the form of a beautiful gift uh, by the two writers, uh, Onitra Johnson yeah. and Akila Cooper, uh, you know, like they just wrote this, what I consider a true gift. And yeah, it was fantastic. I was excited. Uh, I was the guy who was aware that something was wrong on this ship. And to to be able to hold it together in the face of, you know, sir, you know, and, you know, yeah. and- uh, So that's kind of my follow-up question. Like, like, I would have had such an unbelievably hard time. I would imagine that it's just like cut, break every yes. single <laughs> time, just because everything that's going on is so, yeah. It's not just like silly, but it's just delightful. Yes. Like, how yes. could you not have fun doing that? Yeah, we had a lot of fun. It was just ridiculous. It was ridiculous. I, I could not hold it together uh, through certain takes. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't help. Yeah. She didn't help. Anton didn't help. It was very unusual yeah, for yeah. me uh, not to be able to hold it together, but it happened several times. Uh, but I think in terms of, you know, uh, with the work, you know, and uh, being this straight man, uh, of course, to convey the story, and because I found, because Mbanger found himself in the midst of this yeah. storybook, uh, the reality is I did have to embody the character of King Ridley at times, just to yeah, just to make sure I could compel these cast of characters to do what I needed them to do, right? So yeah, yeah. there was a balance and act in that way. So there was a straight man, but there was also a man that would fall into uh, the world and the life uh, of uh, King Ridley. I really enjoyed watching him figure out what was going on, recognize this is the story, and then just commit to being part of the story. And when he finally teams up with Hemmer, it was great because I felt like it gave me and the audience an opportunity as a member of the audience to kind of like finally be in on it. Yeah. And, uh, and I could watch the two of them yeah. kind of work together. Um, Melissa, your, uh, <laughs> your comedic beats with Anson absolutely destroyed me. <laughs> your comedic timing was flawless. It reminded me in a way of working with Patrick Stewart in the 80s, right? I've, I've talked to Anson a handful of times. I have found him to be warm and kind and gentle, but also unintentionally the most intimidating person I've ever been around in my life. And Patrick was sort of the same way. And then there was that day where the, I experienced the first joke. 
the first smile, the first crack of humor. And I have heard about it from your castmates. Oh, he's amazing and he's funny and he's wonderful. This is the first time I actually saw it happen. Is this some kind of a joke, Captain? If it is jokes you desire, I could summon the court jester. Summon the court no. jester. Hold the jester. I need a moment. The two of you killed me. I would watch these two just go on a road comedy forever. I would love to hear anything you want to share about that experience of working with him in such a profoundly different role. Yeah, Anson is so funny and he improvs and he was just wonderful. Like he became Sir Roth and it allowed us really to, to play in the world. And so, you know, we're in, you know, we're, we're in the transporter room, we're on the bridge, we're in the corridors, but we were really transported to another world. And so much of that is thanks to, to everybody just embodying, you know, their, their new characters. But Anson was just a delight and yeah. always surprising. That first day, there was something that Anson did on the bridge that just had, had Babs and had Babs and me just, we could not stop laughing. I had the giggles and I'm just like, Terrible. this is not- Oh, uh, it's the best, I love very that. Yeah, very impressive. And very. I don't even think Anson realized just what he was doing that was yeah. making us yeah. just lose our minds. Yeah. Um, but he also, he helped, um, his commitment to the role, like, and that's, you know, humor is like when you fully commit to it, mm. you know, the audience yeah. feels it, mm. we feel it, the crew felt it. Mm. Um, and so everything that everybody loves about this episode is a testament to, to the whole cast and, and the writers, of course, so. Yeah. Babs and Benga gets one of the few multi-episode arcs this season um, as we discover his hidden daughter, Rukia, and her medical condition and Mbenga's dedication to finding a cure for that condition. Um, I am a dad, and all of your scenes with her this season have landed on me in a particular way. Mm. There is a thing we parents understand about doing whatever it takes for our children, and I really very strongly feel that. Um, it was uh, surprisingly emotional for me in an episode that was delightful and hilarious and wonderful, this incredibly meaningful, incredibly emotional moment um, that we as parents all have to go through where we have to kind of let our children go be themselves and find their place in the universe. And I, I just wondered what, what all of those scenes have been like for you throughout the season, but especially in this episode, um, letting her go and then getting to see her come back as a woman. Um, uh, that was the moment when I fell apart. I was like, oh, how sad. But when she comes back and, and he gets to see that was when I just, I couldn't hold it together anymore. And I would love to hear any thoughts you have about that, that whole part of his story. Um, once again, it was, uh, all of it was a real beautiful gift, you know, um, to Dr. Mbenga being introduced in, um, in episode one, uh, and then yeah. not really in episode two, and then to see what the uh, writers uh, brought for me in episode three, um, I felt honored, you know, um, to begin that journey. This is something that has been a fight he's been having for so long, you know, uh, saving his child. And uh, of course, there's a lot that goes into it and, and carrying the, the moment for, you know, those out there that are dealing with, you know, um, a loved one that's very ill I had those people in my in my thoughts, you know, apart from all the other work. It was a journey. It was a journey and I wanted to bring as much truth and 
love as possible to the piece. If it matters, just as a dad who is a Star Trek fan, I I felt all of the things I imagine were appropriate to feel in that moment. And uh, just thank you for bringing that to life. You, I I, uh, I'm noticing um, uh, you and I share uh, this appreciation for Star Trek. I've heard you call it a gift many times. And I feel very much the same way about all of this. This has been a gift that is continually returned to me that I continually get to open going on 35 years now. And those moments are so rare as an actor and they are so rare in Star Trek. And um, uh, this 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 part of his relationship and this part of his story um, is one of those things that Strange New Worlds has the potential to emotionally carry through going forward. Does that emotional truth stay with him? Does it continue to inform his character? Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. It will. It cannot, right? There's nothing that he will do going forth that doesn't have that behind it. It will be... He will, he will, it's the principle upon which he will live uh, and interact with others. Um, and you'll see him a bit differently on the surface, yeah. but that will always be there. And uh, yeah, so what, you'll, what we'll see in, in the next season that we're already shooting, yeah. as you say, yeah. is, is essentially uh, exploring another side of uh, Dr. Mbenga. Uh, a more, a more, a darker side <laughs> of him, uh, and okay. we can say an exploration of his, uh, how should I say, contentious relationship with the Klingons. Well, I am very much looking forward to that. Melissa, um, Lieutenant Erica Ortegas uh, is a character that I love more and more and more every single time I get to see her and learn more about her. Now, uh, I do not expect this to be nearly as cool for you as it is for me, but she and I and you and I share this thing that very few people in the world share. We have piloted the Enterprise. There's not a lot of other people who have done that. We are in a very small club, you and I. We're in a club with George Takei. We're in a club with Anthony Montgomery. Um, there's just not a lot of people who can say, yep, I drove the Enterprise all right. Have you yet really wrapped your mind around the enormity of that? Yes. So um, when it comes to piloting the Enterprise, so that's another one of those ways that like when people are like, oh, you're on, you're on Star Trek, well, you know, who do you... Who do you play? And then I'm like, well, I'm, I'm the helmsman, I'm the pilot. And they're like, you're piloting the Enterprise? And like, you know, yeah. it doesn't matter what level of fan you are. They're like, what? what? And I'm like, right. And yeah. I've told my mom, I was like, my mom, mom is like, all you have to say is like that I'm the pilot of the Enterprise on the show. And she's like, that's it. And they'll know, like, they'll know. Um, so yeah, so there's not a day that goes by where I'm not like, this is, this. I'm the pilot of the show. You know, this is serious. <laughs> Outstanding. Um, uh, thank you to both of you for making time uh, to be here with me today. Um, you're part of something that's very special and, uh, and, and the two of you are bringing something incredibly special to that. Have a, just an, an awesome, epic rest of your season. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. The sentient Jonesian Nebula in this week's episode joins many havoc-wreaking nebulas in Star Trek. 
What nebula in Star Trek The Next Generation caused parts of the Enterprise-D to phase in and out? Was it A, the Mar Oscura Nebula, B, the McPherson Nebula, C, the Azure Nebula, or D, the Mutara Nebula? Don't boldly go anywhere. Stay tuned for the answer. In an episode with a sniveling Captain Pike, a delightfully evil Uhura, Spock as a dark wizard, Commander La'an as a spoiled princess was mwah and quite sparkly. Even more delightful is that Christina Chong got to bring her real life dog Runa into the story as Princess Talia's matching pup. Now here in the ready room, we make it our business to only cover the most important and hard hitting of Star Trek news. So obviously we made sure to get an exclusive interview with our newest furry cosmic companion. Check it out. And what of me, my lord? And Runa? Yeah, mommy kisses. Hmm. Runa, do you want to say or should I? Okay, I'll do. So during quarantine, I decided to start up a social media account for Runa. I started, you know, creating this character for her that she wants to be in Star Trek, she wants to get an audition for Star Trek. She'd done a little short film in London before this. In makeup one day, somebody said, why don't you ask if she could like be in it? I was like, yeah. Well, yeah, why don't I just ask? Absolutely. Good plan. Fantastic. So I said to Chris Fisher, our producer, director, and I was like, what do you reckon the likelihood is that they'd put Runa in the fantasy episode? Because, I mean, anything goes right in the fantasy episode. Sure. And he was like, I'll pitch it. I'll pitch it to Henry. And I was like, yeah, right, he's not going to pitch it to Henry. You know, anyway, a couple days later, I'm on set, and he's like, oh, yeah, pitched it to Henry. I was like, what? Really? And he was like, yeah, yeah, sounds good. He's going to see if he can make it work. <gasps> The fantasy episode was my favourite episode of the whole entire show because who gets to play a fantasy princess, the childhood dream princess dress, which is sparkly and glittery and twirls, and gets to have her little dog in it in her own little princess costume. That was just a dream. <laughs> it was so fun to do those, uh, those fittings. It was my first dog costume, but I hope it's not my last. This skirt is six feet across. It's been ombre, so Anna in the atelier, she did this beautiful blue color. All of these flowers have been 3D printed and chromed. So that's why these beautiful reflective colors are sh um, being shown through. Matching dress. <laughs> so cute. I can't even deal with it. You know what, in TOS there was this scene where they dressed up a dog as an alien and had a unicorn horn, and we were going to do that, but uh, we'll save that for another another episode. Oh, that's disappointing. We were playing these new characters, so was, we were all kind of like secretly hoping for some feedback from the director. So then Amanda comes up to me, and I was like, oh, it's here, it's coming. She comes up to me, oh, Christina, I just wanted to come over and compliment Runa. She's doing so well. And I was like, mm-hmm, great, mm-hmm. <laughs> My Princess Runa applauds you! <laughs> the sentient Jonesian Nebula in this week's episode joins many havoc-wreaking nebulas in Star Trek. What nebula in Star Trek The Next Generation caused parts of the Enterprise to phase in and out? 
Was it the Mar Oscura Nebula, the McPherson Nebula, the Azure Nebula, or the Mutara Nebula? And the answer is the Mar Oscura Nebula. In the TNG Season 4 episode, In Theory, Captain Picard jokes that there is a poltergeist on the ship. The situation gets serious when the nebula's matter anomaly traps a crew member between decks. There's only two episodes left of this season of Strange New Worlds? Woe is me. Fear not, this fairy tale may have ended. But we have a sneak peek at next week's episode because of course we do. Check it out. That for Lieutenant Duke. No, I didn't realize you were so jumpy. Well, that doesn't look great. Next week's episode looks to be quite different in tone from this week, so let's revel in Mbenga's bittersweet closure and hold on to our fun fantasy world as long as we can. Y'all, I'm sincerely grateful you could be with me today in the Ready Room. This was just really fun and enjoyable for me. Next week, I finally get to speak with Bruce Horak, known to you this week as Caster the Wizard, but known to all of us every week as Chief Engineer Hammer. I have been waiting all season long to sit down and chat with him. Together, we'll get into episode nine, All Those Who Wander, and what it's like to be Star Trek's preeminent Enar. Until then, parting is such sweet sorrow. I'm Will Wheaton. Live long and prosper.